welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me from the same area, but his own domicile, is the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. There may be some coughing, but that's just salaries, calories. <laughs> I find that Lord. calories often lead me to cough because I try to eat cookies three at a time. Man, this has been a rough run here. <laughs> There may be coughing. I hope this was edited out. There may be coughing, but it's really just allergies. Don't put me on the reclamation truck and send me to the camps. I don't want to go on the cart. <laughs> That's. I feel happy. Uh, we're all thankful that the members of Monty Python are not particularly litigious, or we wouldn't have any material. Also joining us, Director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. You'll be stone dead in a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. You won't be back till Thursday. (laughs) You know, I find that uh, we've we've gotten some lovely messages from from people who listen to the show saying we've offered some some entertainment, some encouragement in the midst of, of a difficult time of, you know, a pandemic. And I think what people really want is plague jokes. And I'm glad we can bring that. Oops. So that we was, do great with plague humor, man. Yeah. We we got that nailed. I just want one of them bird masks, like what you see in the yeah. Assassin's Creed. That's yeah. I'm waiting to hit that level of things. I tried wearing one, but they wouldn't let me into the grocery store with it. I have a feeling for a couple of reasons. <laughs> well, speaking of trying to bring encouragement to the people in these these hard times and varying levels of success to get that, um. I woke up to to a text this morning from a member of Lee's church uh, <laughs> telling me that his butt cheeks were relaxed. Oh, and my immediate yeah. thought was, this has something to do with Glenn Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> and ladies well, and gentlemen, you know. I think I was right. Glenn, would you like to, uh, to do some detective work on that one for me? Uh, uh, well, first of all, I, I think there's a chance that he just wanted to let you know about the state of his butt cheeks, because that's what brothers in Christ do for one another from time to time. Sure, Good point. important. Uh, that's right. <laughs> well, what happened was, uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I feel I'm innocent in all of these things, as usual, uh, but uh, uh, Lee's, uh, the, the head pastor of Lee's church is a guy by the name of Tom Job. And he asked me to do a video for their Sunday morning broadcast thing that they're doing, uh, like a lot of churches are doing, like we're doing on our Tuesday night thing. And I had a, a an extremely small window in which to do it. And so it came out a little bit raw. Cheeky, should we say? Yeah, it was. Uh, so it was basically five top tips of how to deal with uh, dealing with the crisis and being on lockdown and all of that. And, um, so it was really kind of more stream of consciousness and, um, tip, top tip number one was relax your butt cheeks. <laughs> uh, so that went out on their Sunday morning, uh, broadcast. Uh, and so there was a lot more butt cheek conversation in the church community than normally you would have i assume well so uh, let me let me preface this by saying there was more butt cheek conversation widely within the church we do have uh the two primary uh caregivers at the local dermatology office attend our church so there's often butt cheeks conversations at the church Mm. but i'm assuming that more people were talking about butt cheeks because of glenn than on a normal sunday well, yeah, I was specifically addressing the the clinched element of that, and um, you know, uh, it, it, the videos on the Facebook. I put it up earlier today, um, uh, but it, it, it and it links to their uh, uh, podcast or their uh, broadcast for the Sunday morning service for the rest of it, which you ought to check out because it's awesome. Uh, but during that video, I I did uh, give sort of a a visual, uh, <laughs> you know, with my hands. Of That's just, an important point. You know, here's clinched, with here's unclinched. You know, yeah. So that that might that might have really taken it up a notch. I think. 
up is one way to to interpret that. <laughs> yeah, and just as a secondary point, uh, speaking of, of Brother Tom, I, I got this text. My immediate thought was this is Fitzgerald related in some way. I realized yeah. it was while the, it was during the time when the Triple C broadcast would be happening. So I tuned into that. And what greeted me was uh, Tom wearing overalls holding a chicken. Oh. And I got a sense for the, like, there's a real, there's a, I was worried I never actually woke up. And now, like, <laughs> the quarantine had just started to eat my brain. And I lived in a world of my own uh, imaginings and psychoses. Yeah. Um, but I was greeted by maybe a vision more horrible, which is that all these things actually happened. And that brings me to the idea of us and Glenn specifically just kind of pirate radioing like a Tim Keller's church broadcast or something. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> and just kind of yeah. doing a real V for Vendetta kind of. Yeah, yeah. Spreading your yeah, message. You we got to be able to hack into that. I mean, we all know the passwords, John Calvin is cool, or something like that. Yeah, I, th I think you just start Romans 1-1, one, one. not that. Romans 1-2, there it is. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of so on and so forth in that manner. Yeah. Just John Calvin, John Owens, these kinds of names. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, wish John Calvin was my daddy, and boom, you're in. So yeah, you know that's <laughs> you can you can get that going, and then we could do sort of a pirate signal and give the people like the real deal, because we we don't we you know we were talking before we hit record here, and Lee I think makes a point of and uh, pointed out something I've seen a ton of as well, of you tune into some of these uh, Sunday morning broadcasts and it's like grim dude like <laughs> like dang man you, you gotta ease up a little here i mean we're all having a rough go let's you know let's let's unclench our butt cheeks well i think one of the things is every church service could probably do with a little bit of energy from miss amanda mm. yes know, if if miss amanda just like freelanced a welcome video for all these church services they would yeah. instantly go up a couple of ticks of that's right of like the maybe uh the joy of the holy spirit maybe yeah i yeah, don't yeah. know man you might freak some of them presbyterians out <laughs> yeah well yeah do we this is a true fact for for years and years we struggle with um just the right tone for opening up our our bridge service and um you know we sort of experimented with every different kind of everything and uh, one of our super cool, super amazing volunteers, Miss Amanda, just uh, just randomly one day we said, "Hey, why don't you uh, get us started?" And it was perfect. So that's you know we've just been going with that ever since. If it, if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's right. Now I'm I'm that's definitely true, and uh, she does a great job. I'm still drawn to the idea of if not the reality that. Because, you know, once the uh, the the lockdown, the, the church broadcast kind of period right here is over, we're gonna, somebody's going to have to make the movie that romanticizes that time. Right. And I think the idea of kind of a, a Matrix 1984-style Glenn just, you know, his, his visage is everywhere. He represents an, some kind of underground cyberpunk rebellion. Right. Yeah, that's... Yeah, you get like a, 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 a bunker, and there's like spray paint on everything. Yeah, that kind of vibe, you know, and uh, yeah, kind of a kind of a whole whole cyberpunk kind of feel. I that, I think that'd be pretty cool. It's the it's the butt cheek faction. That's right, you know. Well, that's the spray paint. It's just two cheeks, you know. Sort of, it looks a little bit like a W, but it's you know it's that kind of, and that indicates, you know, these people are a lot more laid back than everybody else, and that that's what you want, is it? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's what the people need out there. There's then this brings us to an important uh function of the the Uncle Glenn Mission USA, the bridge, say that, uh ministry theory, which is you, gentle listener, might think to yourself, aren't there almost endless other ways to describe relaxing? Right. Is exhale or you know drop your shoulders or just using the word you all need to loosen up. 
You might say those actual words, but that's not scandalous. No. And Glenn is a big believer in the spiritual discipline of being scandalized. That's right. Getting away with things, right? That's the whole, that's your whole aim in life, right? That's correct. I'm not really enjoying it until there's an element of, I'm getting away with doing something I really should not be doing. That's what I feel alive. Yeah. When you're walking the razor's edge of a meeting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and the yeah. delightful yeah. part of that is, and I give Glenn full credit for copying to this, he doesn't need you to actually be scandalized. He just needs you to <laughs> act right. like it. I've said <laughs> to people before when Glenn says something, they go, uh-huh. And I've stopped <laughs> dinner and said, I need you to understand that this is going to escalate until you are scandalized. <laughs> that's right. So if you are scandalized now, speak yeah. up, and that's going to shortcut this whole process. And Glenn's perfectly happy <laughs> to receive that. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, you know, just a really quick, simple, oh, my Lord. That's a, it's like, okay. Yeah, that's, if you could we, put we, in a monocle and then drop it, that's fine. That's right. Yeah. We don't, if you happen to have pearls on, you could clutch them and... You know, get the vapors and whatnot, and uh, that'd be fine. We don't need people to go to the full Pete Lawson. No, no. No, we don't. Stop before that. Yeah. Level of scandal. An important difference in in strategies, for those of you who know and have had the joy of experiencing our co-worker Pete Lawson, if you tune into the Bridge Live Tuesdays at 7.30, Central Time, you'll experience uh, the wisdom of Brother Pete, he's a good man, does amazing work. But Glenn wants you to be scandalized. He wants you to to think, oh, oh, heavens, can he even say that? Right. Pete looks at a table full of horrified people and then afterwards thinks, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. He well, he takes no joy in in saying something horrible. He just knows he can do it better than anyone at the table. So it's like a game for him that none of us can can really compete on his level. Yes, we are all amateurs. Uh, it's kind of it's it's Michael Jordan playing with a, a high school team, but he deigns to let us get our licks in where we can. We never declared an actual emergency because Glenn started saying butt cheeks before I could do that. <laughs> but that, I think, if anything, that indicates an emergency, which I will now declare off. And just in case you're new to the program, you've ever wondered, you've ever asked, are they like that when they're not on the show? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> in almost all circumstances, we have lost the ability to regulate our behavior. And we hope that brings an entertaining show to you, the listener. Um, we do put in a strong effort to regulate said behavior, and that's why Bridgebox is heavily edited. So things are submitted yes. beforehand. They go through an editorial process. That editorial process is Jed most of the time, which there are stronger editorial processes for content, but he does a great job. He puts on his cap of what would a normal person think of this and puts it through that. You get sermons, you get songs, you get says all sorts of great stuff. This month in Bridgebox, we're talking about dealing with change, we also uh, had that be the topic on this week's Bridge Livecast, which you can always join us for, 7.30 p.m. Chicago time every single week. We're bringing the bridge to you live. And if you can't join us at that time, if you're around the world and that's not a convenient time, you can always check out those archive broadcasts at the bridge at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. And that was all the plugs I can make in one breath. So we're going to move on to our first question which is our bridge box question for the month and the topic of our most recent bridge live cast. It says, how do I deal with change? I have to admit, I don't feel deal with change very well. It's like, I don't know how to get my bearings and it is an excellent question and a timely question. And Jed, where would we kick off? Uh, it's a great question. And I think the the thing that I would encourage to look at is the difference between adventure and inconvenience, because uh, in a sense, they're very similar ideas. And, and they kind of describe the two ways that people think of change. Um, I think people who uh, have a better experience of change think of it as an adventure, uh, that they, they are getting to do new things in a new way and have new experiences. And people who really don't like change and sometimes resent it tend to think of it as an inconvenience. Um, there is a writer named G.K. Chesterton, uh, who's a great writer, and if you're looking for 
new stuff to read. You should definitely check out his books. Um, but he has a line that's really amazing where he says that an adventure is merely an inconvenience rightly considered, whereas an inconvenience is merely an adventure wrongly considered. And it might sound like what I'm describing is the power of positive thinking. And here's the thing. It's not far off from that. Um, but the truth is that one of the things about change that I think really messes with all of us is that we feel powerless in the midst of it. We feel like there's, there's more going on than we can get our minds around, yeah. our hands around. And I want to encourage you that your attitude and your outlook is the one thing you always have control over. You always get to choose your attitude and your outlook, regardless of your circumstances. So whether you are on an adventure or an inconvenience, it's up to you. But critically, it's up to you about five minutes at a time. That's not a one-time decision. It's a, it's a decision you keep on making. Now, that said, we do want to put some, some left and right limits on that. The first is... Um, if your doctor calls and tells you that you have a terrible disease, um, you're not supposed to flip around and think that's an adventure because uh, that's not the same as change. That's just a really crappy thing happened in my life. Uh, that's not to say I can't bring good things out of it. Um, he can and he often does. But uh, we're talking about change. That's not a code word for something really awful and terrible happened and I'm supposed to put a smiley face on it. That's, we're not talking about the same stuff there. The second thing is that you're allowed to be tired. You're allowed to be worn out. So even when a change that you could look at as an adventure is going on, you're not failing if you don't have on your adventure cap 24 hours a day. Um, I don't know anyone who can do that. I can't do that. Um, I think that the key thing is to, in the main, try to keep your attitude and your outlook towards viewing this as an adventure and as an opportunity. And I think that's really important, both because you will enjoy it more, but I think when we look at things from that angle, we really do see possibilities that we just fail to see otherwise. Um, when, we, when we look at change as just an inconvenience and a thing that we're getting dragged through, it turns out that there's a lot of optional good stuff that it's easy not just to miss out on, although that certainly does happen, but just to miss entirely, to never even notice that it was there for the taking. Um, so I think that choosing to have an attitude where we view change as an adventure not only helps us to get the best out of the change, but to see kind of the bonus <laughs> stuff in a video game sense that there's not another way to get to. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I mean, I love. First of all, I I love everything that that Jeb was was pushing us toward here, and and I think one of the big things is to admit that we are routine creatures. We like rhythm. That makes us feel like we know where we are. It makes us feel safe. Um, and so one of the things that I think we start is exactly what Jed's talking about making kind of a discerning division and maybe for some people even making a list of these are things I can control and these are things I can't control. Like for instance, you cannot control your state's mandated lockdown orders or your province or your area or your country or whatever, wherever you are. Um, <clears throat> it always freaks me out that we have international, literally international audience in this. So we, we cannot control um, you know, government handed down lockdown orders. You can't control um, your access to your gym or your job or your office or something like that in, in times like these. So we might need to actually make a list of stuff like that. What are the things that I don't have any control over where I normally have some routine and some rhythm? Okay. 
um, now that I've parsed that out, what are where are some places that I do have control, and how can I have some routine and rhythm within those things? Now, this may sound really stupid, but <clears throat> like I'm just going to give a really a really trite example from my experience. So, before this whole business started, I was one of those like Starbucks guys. I like to go to Starbucks early in the morning, like 30 minutes after they opened. And I sat in the same booth and I would get the exact same thing. And as soon as I walked in, everybody that worked there knew exactly what I wanted and they would make it before I even ordered it. And I would have the exact amount that I needed for it and everything, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I would read my book or, or work on my work or whatever it was. And then this whole thing started, Starbucks closed. And so now I have to figure out coffee in a different way. So I can't control the fact that the Starbucks is closed and that I can't go there. But what I'm going to do is within the things that I can control, I'm going to create a new routine and a new rhythm. So I'm going to make, I'm going to have coffee in a different way, in a different space, make it in a different way. And now I've created a new routine, a new perspective. Um, the question, that's a really trite example to ask this question, which is what are the things that you cannot control versus what are the things that you can control? It's okay to admit that you're a person who likes routine and rhythm and that those things make you feel um, secure and safe. There's not absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's completely healthy. And so within that, how can we create a schedule and a strategy that creates some health, some peace of mind, some routine that we know where we are? I was talking to somebody who said, I'm not allowed to go to my office, but regardless of that, I realized after the first couple of weeks that it made me feel better if I went ahead and took a shower and got completely dressed as if I were going to my office. And then I went to the space in my house where I am working from my desk on my computer, but I'm all completely dressed all the way down to dress shoes as if I were going to my office. This guy told me that gave me a sense of peace and a sense of purpose and a sense of routine and rhythm. Those are the kinds of questions that I want you to be asking this time at this in the same way within this change. Can we make a diff? Can we make uh, a, a distinction between the things we can't control and the things we can control so that we can create some routine and rhythm so that we feel that sense of the sense of control over the things that we can and a sense of, I know where I am. I know what I'm doing. I know how I'm spending this block of time. I love the way Jed described that five minute set, those five minute sets of time. Um, If we can think about those things and realize where we have control and where we don't, then we can create a strategy that's going to give us a sense of space, a sense of time and a sense of purpose. And that's the kind of stuff where the human mind starts to find um, a sense of comfort. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. We just need to make a, a distinction between where we have control and where we don't. That's all excellent stuff. And I'd love to close out here. There's there's something we often talk, a concept we often talk about in the show, which is that uh, Christianity is not Buddhism. And right. what we normally mean by that is the, the idea of the highest level of uh, walking with the Lord being to get to a point where you have no desires or predilections or ideas of your own is not really what we're talking about. So the desire and the the comfort in routine and bearings, I think, is a really good word from the question. Yeah. I, I, obviously, we don't want to just uh, sh- uh, kind of jettison that and the idea of you just, just right. be thrilled with floating in the ether of chaos <laughs> right, and entry. Right. So, but what is the, the good thing at the center of that that we can build on in a healthy way? Well, it's a, it's a great way to ask that because— as Matt is rightly pointing out, we could have an attitude of, uh, you know, hey, let's just uh, uh, just float around in a pink cloud of pure uh, uh, divine light, and we then we just wouldn't have any feelings about anything. That would be great. Uh, it's important to have a sense of bearing. So I like that word. I like your idea of, okay, I feel like I don't have my bearings. That's a, a, that's a good uh, read on your situation. And so let's key in on that word bearings. I think that the the problem that you've got, if you've set your bearings by things that are changeable and that, that are bound to change quite a little bit, 
if we want to set our our bearings by something reliable, we don't, for example, set them on job stuff. Job stuff is always changing. That you know, they it, it, it's stuff that's as Lee was just talking about stuff that's beyond your control. You know, something happens with a company that you didn't have anything to do with, and now there's a problem. Uh, if I set my uh, bearings, if I you know try to work out am i having a good day or a bad day or good week or bad week or a stressful week or an exciting week or whatever it is by the job then the job is just going to be taking me on a roller coaster that's not good uh, a lot of people right now they don't have that much in their calendar and they're kind of freaked out and it makes perfect sense i can i can understand the concept behind that but I think the thing for us to learn off of that is you were letting the calendar give you your sense of bearing. So you're setting your sense of self. How responsible am I being? How good am I being? How, how much am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing by the calendar? The calendar is telling me what is good and bad and right and wrong and responsible and whatnot. That's, that's actually not good. So it's good that we have that information that we were relying on that perhaps too much. I would also add in there the idea of setting our bearings by people that we know are dysfunctional. If we have family relationships or uh, you know just any kind of close relationship with someone who's a little dysfunctional, that's obviously we just can't get our bearings by that. They're they're constantly going to be throwing us off. So the idea then is to look at I I want to set my bearings by things that never change and. I think that begins with the Almighty Himself. Uh, God does not change, so that when we invest in that relationship, when He's the rock that we are anchored to, then we're not on these roller coasters. We don't, uh, you know, uh, as Matt is rightly pointing out, we have emotions, we have feelings. God takes us on a journey that is very rich and full of lots of wild uh, emotion and passion and all of that good stuff. But we aren't uh, constantly feeling like we're unmoored because of all these changes going on around us. We have that firm foundation that we're anchored to, and that's what we want for you. And we and we and we're praying for you in this tough time. That's absolutely right. Um, uh, cards on the table. You are listening to a show hosted by four guys who do not like change. So let's be uh, fair Amen. and transparent about that. But one of the things I will definitely share that I've, I've learned in a lifetime of not liking change is it just keeps happening. So um, I, th I think you have exactly the right attitude in your question of how do I deal with it? Um, and by far the least useful thing you can do is lament the facts that, thing that things have changed. Um, it used to be like this, and it was good. And now it is not like this, and therefore it is bad. Most change, and obviously not most of the stuff we're talking about here around the p pandemic stuff, but most change is, doesn't really rise to the level of positive or negative. It just kind of is. And it takes all the way back to what Jed was saying, where one of your, the big things you have control over is your attitude about this. And that's really where that starts. To me, a healthy attitude about change starts with, this has happened. I now live in a world where this has happened. Am I going to decide that that's a catastrophe or something I can do something with? And if you start looking at it in those terms, you're going to have that on-ramp to the really good advice and good attitudes these guys have discussed there. All right, we move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, Like many people right now, I've been laid off and don't know when I'll be working again. I've always paid my tithe and given offerings for my earnings but I'm currently on unemployment, which to be honest, isn't enough to cover rent, except with the extra stuff coming in for right now. Should I be paying a tithe from this? I don't want to be disobedient, but I also am not really sure about what's going on in these situations and I don't know what to do. So another question uh, that probably a lot of folks are feeling and we're super glad you wrote it in to let us talk about it. And Lee, where would we start off? Yeah, I'm super glad. Exactly as Matt said, Super glad that you wrote in about this because it's a question a lot of people are asking. A lot of people are laid off. A lot of people have uh, their uh, paychecks cut back a certain percentage. And um, and this is a big question for people who are in a serious walk with Jesus. Like, what do I do about this? What is the right tack to, to come in on? Um, I mean, we all know that giving is an important part of our relationship with Jesus. But I think that not a lot of us know why. Um, we know that this is a big deal, but 
but a lot of us, especially those of us who raised in certain churches, the reason that we think it's a big deal is because we've been told it has something to do. This is all about obedience to the Lord, which obedience to the Lord is an important thing. Um, but some people have been told that it's it's about it's about spiritual disciplines in some in some way. That's a, to me a little bit more dubious. And then for some of us, the reason why we think uh, giving is an important part of our relationship with the Lord is just all about heaps and heaps of guilt. Like if you don't give your tithe, you're going to make the baby Jesus cry. Mm. And are you really going to be the one to make the baby <laughs> Jesus cry? So we, we, what we've got to figure out is, okay, if this is an important part of my relationship with Jesus, the real question is, why is it an important part? Um, what's interesting is when you turn to the scriptures, what you find is, number one, that whole tithe thing, that was a part of the Old Testament. That was, they had a, basically a, a national income tax. This was a theocracy. They had a national income tax where they were paying for the temple and the temple upkeep and the, and the salaries of the priests and all that kind of stuff. Totally different thing. Not what the New Testament says about uh, believers in Jesus giving in any way. Um, what the New Testament says is that your giving should be private. It should not be under compulsion. It should be about fun. It should be about an adventure, which goes back to kind of Jed's first answer in the in the beginning of this podcast. And it should be a it should be a function of your relationship with Jesus, where you are going on this uh, kind of question of like, what ministry, Lord Jesus, do you want me to partner with, so that I can claim credit for all the cool stuff they're doing. <laughs> this yeah. is so cool. It's an amazing thing. Amen. When when Christy and I were um we were oh gosh, we were kids. We were like, you know, 19 years old and uh Glenn and a guy named Ron from Mission USA came down to our church, which we didn't have a church building. We met in the auditorium of a university in town. And they gave uh they they preached on the Sunday morning service and they gave another service and they talked about the work that they were doing. And Christy and I were still in college. We were already married. We were broke as crap. But we said, we love that work. What do we do? And we prayed about it, and we thought... and Because one of the things that, that Glenn said in his sermon was about, about giving, he said, look, uh, from Philippians, I can tell you that Paul's pitch in Philippians was, I don't need y'all to give anything. I am amply supplied. But if you want some credit in all this awesome stuff that I'm doing... <laughs> <laughs> then jump on in. Yeah. And what and what Christy and I said to each other was, that sounds really fun and we like these brothers. And um and so we jumped on the train. Guys, I, everybody listening to this, I just want you to hear what I'm saying. It's one of the best decisions we ever made as a couple. We've had more fun, we've made more friends, we've had more adventures. We, and here's the great thing. We live in Tennessee. They're doing all this awesome stuff in Chicago. When Judgment Day comes, we get to claim credit for every piece of it. That's the cool part of it. Your giving should be about Amen. fun. It should be about adventure. It should be about trust. And it's, it's an exercise in you saying to Jesus, everything I have comes from you. And I'm trusting you to provide for me. I'm trusting you to take care of me. Now, it should spark a conversation with you and Jesus. If you don't have any money, then you should start a conversation with Jesus that says, okay, Lord, I don't have any money right now. What can I give so that I can partner with some ministry and trust you and remember that everything comes from you and adventure and have some fun? Those are the things that the New Testament talks about. Cheerfulness, privacy, trust, adventure. Now, if we can lock in on all those things and cut out guilt, discipline, and whatever else makes you feel yucky, then we're getting closer to what the New Testament is talking about. Um, let me remind you of one other thing. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a place where Jesus goes into the temple and he sits down right in front of the box where everybody puts in their money. And nobody even... People are reading through the Gospel of Mark, they don't even question the fact that Jesus just sits down and watches people give their money and then judges them about it. <laughs> and but that's exactly what he does. And I in like it's like chapter eight or something like that. 
Jesus just sits down, and the lady that gives the least amount, uh, the least amount of money, Jesus said she gave the most of all. So we need to realize that uh, she was trusting the Lord to provide for her, and it's all about those things. It's about trust. It's about joy. It's about adventure, and it's about privacy and cheerfulness. It's not about guilt. It's not about discipline. When we get those all those things lined up together, then we're going to find out how to handle this situation. That's an excellent place to start off. That is all very, very good stuff. And Glenn, I think Lee got all over uh, the attitude about having, we should have about money, even in tough times. Let's look at the idea of giving outside of money, which is certainly something uh, we can throw up a big red flag if your church is just not open to that. That's going to have its own situation. But assuming we're not dealing with that, what are some things we can do? We say, I like giving. I want all this stuff Lee's talking about, and I just don't have anything in the budget currently. What can we do then? Well, I think if you ask a lot of pastors, and I talk to a lot of them, uh, you know, uh, money always spends. It's always welcome. Uh, You know, they're always happy to have more. But uh, all of them are hurting for time. Uh, that's uh, having people giving their time, uh, you know, volunteer stuff and whatever have you. Um, if you look at ministries like ours, if you came, if you happen to live in Chicago, you show up at our service and say, look, I'm unemployed. I don't have a lot going on. I've got a car. I can barely afford gas, but I can afford gas. I'm I'm yours. I I'm telling you what would happen next is we would we would hand you a card that would allow you to buy more gas and keep you busy all day, uh, and we would be thrilled with that. And we couldn't come up with the money to replace the value that you'd be giving us with your time. Uh, I think it people really underestimate their time and really overestimate the impact of their money. I say that as a, a person who runs an organization on do, you know paid donations. So there's that. Here's another thing. Um, if you came to me, if, if your tithe that you're talking about, if you were giving that to this ministry, to me personally, to what we're doing, uh, if you're about to hand it to me and say, I don't have any money, here's this. I didn't really pray about it, but I just want to be obedient you and I would be having a conversation about, okay, we need to, first of all, pray about this. We need to, second of all, second of all recognize, uh, you know, being obedient to God isn't just uh, uh, going in lockstep with what you think is the thing you're supposed to be doing and not asking any of the hard questions of the Lord. And we're going to get into that with this next question, so it'll, you know, stay tuned for that and it'll apply. But... Um, uh, believe me, I would be okay with telling you, uh, you know, let's let's let the job get back on and get more of a steady income coming in. Uh, I, I think you've got more than a pass on a number of different levels here, and that's really what I want to drive to on the as we come to the end of this. Is here's a a weird thing about all of this when we're going through tough times and we're having struggles. There's a, a weird tendency to put even more negativity on ourselves. That is to say, our level of expectations on ourselves often doesn't go down when we have hard times and struggles. In a weird way, they tend to go up. I, I think some of that might be the devil just kind of knowing he's got a, a, you know an easy target there. Some of that may be just the sense of, I feel like I'm not getting the important things right, so I'm now going to worry about every little thing. Uh, Sometimes it's just a a sense of wanting to do something that you're not able to do. Regardless of what it is, when things are tough, don't look to beat up on yourself more than what the situation is already giving you. Uh, I think right now what the Lord wants you to do is to Go to him and uh, be, if you, if you want to know what the obedient thing is, if that's what we're trying to do, the obedient thing is let God give you some peace about this situation. Let him tell you about your future, what he wants for you. Receive that and receive whatever instructions he has for you, 
not just with your time, but also with your money, uh, with the abilities that he's given you, and figuring out the total picture of what he wants to do for you, rather than thinking in narrow uh, and sort of legalistic uh, terms about this. We want you to have that freedom. I think that's all very, very good stuff. Jed, there's something uh, Glenn said towards the end there that I think I'd love to get you to pick up on, which is the idea of totality. The idea of in uh, we're having always with money, particularly in a time where maybe think about a little more like this, it's important to look at how God wants us to use our money in totality and not boil that down to uh, letting someone tell us 10% off the top, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. So let's start by going back to what Lee said. Um, tithing is an Old Testament concept. It is extraordinarily difficult to make a biblical argument that Christians are under an obligation to tithe. Um, I mean, really, really hard to make that argument. Um, a lot of pastors really like to use that because they would really love it if everybody in their church gave 10% off the top. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. And if they bring that up, ask them if they would accept that tithe in grain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. you know, tithing is a part of the Levitical law, um, the same Levitical law that includes things about not eating shellfish and having clothing that's not mixed fibers. So um, it's just, you know, again, a lot of churches love to talk about tithing because they really want you to give a lot of money, but it's not a concept. So you should give from a joyful, glad heart. You should give having prayed it through, just like these fellows are talking about. But I think the one other thing, too, that I really want to encourage you to do in this time in regards to your money is to be kind to yourself. Amen, um, dude. Yeah. I, th I think one of the things that people um, – it's easy for people, me included, to fall into when, when times get tough and they feel like they need to kind of tighten the belt is – let me jettison all things in life that give me joy and comfort. Mm. Um, and, and that's how we're going to get through this thing. And that's a terrible idea. Um, uh, obviously, you're going to have to cut expenses somewhere. But I think it's worth looking at what are the things that make life livable for you? Um, and yes, we, we understand that at the end of the day, Jesus is the thing that makes life livable for Christians. But Save that's your it. emails. Save your emails. <laughs> <laughs> that said, for you, maybe it's your Netflix subscription. Maybe it's, you know, snack food that you like. Maybe it's your, your hobby. I don't know. But I really want to encourage you to be kind to yourself with your money and not try and get rid of everything in your life that gives you joy, especially not so that you can keep giving an arbitrary sum of money to a church. Amen. Um, you need joy in this time. You need strength in this time. Yes, those things do come from God, but the Lord has a very kind way of delivering that strength and that peace and that joy through the vehicle of things like hobbies and movies and music and just things that we like. So look out for yourself. Take care of yourself. Don't put yourself last on the list uh, when you figure out how you want to spend your money. You will come out the other side of this, but we want you to come out uh, not hating life and uh, you know just kind of being mad at existence. Uh, that's absolutely right. And one, one thing I, we, we've kind of been leaning towards cautioning you on is listening to the way um, organizations, churches, anybody talks about money in a time when they know people are hurting. And if the if the heat gets cranked up on trying to make you give when you're unemployed, that's like bad. That's that's very bad. That's something that's like that's like find a new church bad. We want to be we want to be clear about that. And it is it is, you know, kind of one of those things of times of stress let reveal character. They don't create characters. The saying goes because. People are hurting and churches are hurting currently and the donations are down and that's all true. But the answer to that is not, you know, give your last dollar to this church. You also want to have your ear out for particularly talking about giving. I think a lot in churches when this sermon or announcement time or whatever is geared towards a very specific mindset that you may not have. In the sense of you make it a whole thing about some people think, you know, first you got to give your first fruits, not your last fruits and all that. And there's there are definitely some people, most of them are in a very high tax bracket who um, take care of every uh, desire and investment and pr prudent savings thing they want to and then give a little bit of what's left over as opposed to giving from all that they have. 
that's probably not you. So again, if you're in a place where the only talking about giving happens in those that context, that's not great, and that's not applying to you. Uh, one, one last thing I will share as we as we sign off this topic, you have hopefully heard Second Corinthians nine seven, where it says the Lord loves a joyful giver. Uh, Glenn started us off talking about that. It's a very very important point. There's a, a place in the chapter before that, which is still talking about giving. It's still Paul talking to the church of Corinth about giving and wanting them and get, buy in all the stuff that get in on all the stuff that kind of like Lee's talking about. And he says in second uh, Corinthians eight, uh, 14, that it's, if the heart is there, it's fine to give out of what you have, not what you don't have. I apologize. That's second Corinthians eight twelve. for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have this. So that's an important line because there's a lot of, good healthy stuff about giving about trust about the discipline of giving that we're talking about that it's a kind of a slightly it's a surprisingly thin line to get to seed of faith if you just give god will increase and all that where it gets really hinky so one of the, there are a couple of kind of lines in the sand to keep in your mind on that of whether something's inbounds or out of bounds and one is uh, where we started is joy being centered in all this. And another one is someone asking you to give out of something you don't have. Cause that's directly against the advice in the new Testament about giving. And we want to be very careful of all that. All right. We're going to move on to our final question here, which comes into our email address. And it says in episode four fourteen, uncle Glenn talked about someone with a weak conscience to be clear, he was he was referencing the scripture about people with weak consciences. We weren't just like talking about our friend Darren, who we <laughs> right. think could really use to step it up. Can you that expand dude on does have a weak conscience? Though. Uh, no doubt. Can you expand on how to deal with someone with a weak conscience? And it's a fantastic question. As ever, we love the follow up questions. And they say, I'm, I have someone I love who is being on the rules thing. They're not super judgy, but they put things on themselves, which are unhealthy. And how can I support them? Which is exactly the attitude we want you to start with. And Glenn, uh, how can, let's give some background again, catch us all up in this concept of someone with a weak conscience. Then where would we step into that? Well, yeah, the, uh, the, the verse we were looking at was talking about uh, there are people who were saying, oh, I can't eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol because it's just associated with another religion, so I'm so holy I wouldn't eat that meat. And Paul was pointing out that that doesn't have anything to do with anything and is also crazy and bonkers. And, but he's saying we should we should be gentle with those people because they have a weak conscience. They actually don't have a strong sense of what God wants. They are, they are weak in their understanding. So he, he took people that are super rule-followy, uh, and by rule, and, and the rules that they're following are, are, of course, rules they've made up themselves. But he's saying he, he's taking people who are really on rules and saying, that's just weakness, and we got to pray for those people because they don't get it. And uh, in, uh, it, the thing about Christianity is it's it's really murder on rule followers, as we were just looking at the last question on tithing. Uh, Christianity works great for people who are rule breakers, uh, you know, your, your, your thieves, your tax collectors, your prostitutes, your uh, drug addicts, your gang members. Uh, it's great for them. But if you're a rule follower— you're going to run into a lot of problems. So let's start with this. Every, you know, let's recognize every culture, every a family, a, a, every um, a, like a business or institution has a culture of its own and has rules uh, as part of that. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bad with having rules or following rules in in and of itself. But there's the sort of the central thing that I think helps us understand all of this in in Scripture is God comes to Abraham and tells him, I want you to commit infanticide. I want you to kill your own son. Here's the thing. Every society, every culture, every everything everywhere has the rule that you don't commit infanticide. That's just that's as close to a universal thing in every known context that you can imagine, you don't kill your your own child. Uh, God came to Abraham and told him to do that. 
And the, the thing we are meant to draw from that story is you don't follow your own sense of what is important. You don't follow any rule, no matter how universal it is. You follow me. You do what I tell you to do. That's what, that's what the test was uh, with Abraham. That was the instruction to him. Uh, when we talk about understanding God's will, uh, you know, in Sunday school answer we got when we were little kids, you know God's will by, uh, you know, your best understanding of Scripture, wise counsel, and prayer. You know, just that's, those are the three big things that you do to understand what it is that God wants for you. And by, when we say prayer, we mean listening to the Lord in prayer. Uh, so, you know, your understanding of Scripture, wise counsel, and prayer. Here's the thing. If you stop with number one, if you take your understanding of Scripture, which is limited and flawed, but then you don't do the wise counsel, really, and you don't pray about it, then you end up being exactly what Jesus criticized the most. So that's a problem. You, 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 know, you can't say, well, I'm doing the big one and the good one, and the others it don't really matter so much, so that's, you know— the Pharisees were people who followed the rules and didn't really ask God if that was okay, and they ended up disrespecting Jesus himself because he wasn't a good rule, rule follower. Uh, to me, the, 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 my favorite thing on all of this is Peter. I think we mentioned this recently on the podcast, but you know, Peter has a vision, and God comes to him in the vision and says, okay, here's all this food that you could not eat, so rise up and eat it. And here's what Peter said. He said, no. And, and I just want you to ask yourself right now in this moment, not only did he say no to God, he said it three times in a row. And I want you to ask this question to yourself, why would someone do that? I mean, this guy was a fisherman, you know, think of how many times you were pulling out the nets and there's nothing in it and your family is starving and here is a lobster and I can't tell you how delicious lobster is to eat if you've never eaten it and you're throwing it back because you're not allowed to eat that. This level of commitment. Why was he saying no that now you can just eat whatever you want? I think it's because, you can give me your, your own answer, I think it's because he loved the fact that he had a streak going. Mm. And it was one that made him feel really holy. Yeah, You're taking away my holy feeling now, God. You can't do that. He's telling God, no. That's as disrespectful <laughs> as, as it could possibly be. This is the most unholy thing you can do. And insisting that he not eat delicious food. Have you had bacon before? I mean, for heaven's sake, I don't want to eat any of this delicious stuff. And no, go away, God, with this instruction, because I feel holy because I followed this rule. Okay, that's what we call cuckoo bananas, okay? That's not—you <laughs> have got—if that's the level that you're on, you have to recognize this is— full disobedience at this point. When you're at the point of saying no, because you're taking away my holy feeling. So this is where we have to go back and go back to the Sunday school answer. Wise counsel, prayer, and scripture, all three together to find out what does God want you specifically to do in this specific situation. Jesus didn't write down rules for you to follow. Jesus said, follow me. That's very, very strong stuff. A great place to to start this off. And Leah, I'd love you to pick us up here because I think one of the things that can be a little trippy about this concept of being kind and being graceful to people who have a weak conscience, you know, and then Romans 14, Paul just straight up says, except the one whose faith is weak, which sounds like a really uh, biblical kind of backhanded compliment and kind of a sick burn in its own way. Because there's this weird split about is it really, can I really, is it really up to me whose faith is strong and weak? Isn't that inherently mean? So how can I be kind to someone while I'm being mean to them? But we really get into a, a discernment versus judgment thing right here, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's a really good way to ask that. It, it does feel, it does feel that way. It, it feels like I'm looking at somebody and I'm deciding this person has the weak faith and I'm judging them or whatever. But the the thing about it is is that scripture lets you do this um scripture exactly as glenn's saying it's this thing of somebody that feels like because of this i'm super holy 
And Paul comes along in the middle of the whole thing and says, actually, that's weakness. Yeah. Um, there's this amazing thing in, in, the book of, in the book of Galatians where Paul says, when Peter came to Antioch, because Peter had this experience that Glenn's talking about, right, where uh, the, the Lord gives him this, this vision on the top of this roof, uh, this house that he's staying at, uh, of, you know, there's like, there's basically like a, a low country boil coming down because it's basically a sheet with a bunch of crawfish on it, which to me, uh, a tablecloth with crawfish is a Come low on. country boil. So yeah. that's what's happening right there. And the Lord is saying, dude, arise and eat. And Peter's like, I would never eat that. The Lord tells him <laughs> three times to do it. Um, well, a few years after that happened, uh, Peter goes to visit Paul and Barnabas in the city of Antioch. And, and he's eating everything. He's eating BLTs. He's eating pork chops. He's eating lobster tail, the whole thing. And then some, uh, some guys showed up from Jerusalem, from, from James's crew. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, Peter goes off, and it's a, basically a middle school cafeteria all of a sudden, where the cool kids table, and Peter decides, I want to eat at the cool kids table with these, with these guys that don't eat uh, crawfish and whatever. And, and Paul says, <laughs> in the book of Galatians, you can look this up, Paul says, I called Cephas out to his face because he was wrong. (laughs) And so that's that's right. (laughs) And that's right there in the scripture. I called him out Mm -hmm. to his face. It's one of these things where it feels kind of judgy, but there's a, there is a freedom in being able to, uh, being able to set yourself free from the, the burdens of following certain rules and stuff like that. Now, what we want to do is we want to come in on the tip of understanding and gentleness and kindness and all that kind of stuff, but we don't have to be trapped by stuff. So in the midst of this, what we want to find is the right kind of balance. Now, the weird thing is nobody's talking about these same issues anymore. Nobody's talking about uh, uh, bacon and lobster tail and that kind of stuff. We're talking about all kinds of different stuff in Christian culture now. Christian culture is weird. And the stuff that people care about, as I'm going to abuse a statement that Jed says, which is church people love church stuff. And what, what we want to do is we want to look at what in the midst of that, how do we treat people with kindness and understanding in the midst of the fact that they think that they're earning some kind of coolness or some kind of righteousness by uh, attaching themselves to certain kind of rules? Well, what we do is we have... <laughs> This is kind of a funny thing, but we have our walk with the Lord, which is this secret, sweet, private thing where I'm walking with the Lord. I know where I stand with him. And you may not have come to the place of freedom that I'm at right now. I want to show that to you, but I'm going to do that with gentleness and respect. And I'm going to do that slowly. And I'm going to respect the place where you are. And I'm going to walk alongside you as you get to that place. As you're saying, Matt, it has to do with discernment. And it's not quite the same thing as judgment, but we're looking at somebody's life and we're saying, I want to walk alongside you with gentleness and respect as hopefully as the scales kind of fall off of your eyes and you realize all of the freedoms that you have in your relationship with Jesus. That's excellent, excellent stuff. That's a great way to look at that. Jed, let me get you to close us out by picking up right where, where Lee left us off because what we're talking about a little bit there with that judgment versus sermon thing is what we're looking at is the fruit of someone's life. They're, they're, it doesn't sound like they're uh, wildly happy with the way things are going and having a joyful and vibrant walk with the Lord. And the hope is that eventually they will realize that so what do we do until then? And if the Lord calls us to have a role in that, what might that be? Well, I think, you know, gentleness and respect, of course, is the key. But I think framing a world in which on some level we can ask one another, how's that working for you, man? Yeah. Um, you know, I've got some buddies that race cars, right? And the thing about racing cars is they're a very weird blend of super nerdy about little details and also wildly superstitious. Um, but there is one metric that really matters is, did you go faster? 
Because if you went faster, then maybe it worked. If you didn't, it definitely didn't work. You can you can love the nerdy details and the superstition all you want, but you either went faster or you didn't. There's a clear outcome. There's a clear sense of fruit on this thing, right? In the Christian life, the Bible is very clear what kind of fruit we're looking for. And there's internal and there's external fruit. So the book of Galatians is where the idea of the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes from. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How are we doing with those? Do we, do we have more of them coming? Do we have more of them going on? Then we're clearly doing something that's really working. Um, if we don't, then maybe not as much. And the external fruit is to, it comes from the book of James is, as it puts it, looking after orphans and widows in their distress. Um, uh, Jesus expresses the exact same idea just in different words in Matthew 25 where he, he talks about caring for the least of these. Um, but in a sense, if, again, if you look at internal fruit and external fruit, that's, that's kind of the Christian version of are you going faster? You know, you, you're doing a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of hocus-pocus behind it, and that's cool, but are you actually going any faster? Are you actually – do you have more love? Do you have more peace? You know, when I was growing up, the big debates in Christian culture, a lot of them revolved around could you listen to secular music or not? In other words, could you listen to music that wasn't on the Christian radio station? That doesn't – I don't think that really applies anymore because Christian radio is not really the same thing that it used to be. Um, I mean it's literally just one style of music at this point. But the thing that nobody ever brought up when I was a kid that I really wish they had, and again, I, I want to encourage you to, to look at this, to kind of try and craft a relationship with your friend where you could look at this, is no one ever brought up, okay, you stopped listening to all the really good metal bands that you like, but do you have any more joy in your life off of doing yeah. that? Good, do you dude. have any more peace in your life? Do you have any more love? Do you have any more hope? Because if not, you're just suffering for no reason. Um, I bet you can think of things in your life that you've let go of or on the other side of letting go of it, you have more love and more joy and more hope. I bet you can think of things like that. Those were good decisions. It was a good idea to let go of that. But if you're letting go of stuff and it's just making you miserable and sad and it's just, you know, there's, there's nothing good coming out of it, then I think we really need to be looking at where's the fruit? How's that working for you, dude? Are you going any faster? Um, I think one of the things that Christians really struggle with, this is something I learned from Glenn that is really important, is God is not into meaningless suffering. Yeah. God is not into you depriving of yourself just for the sake of depriving yourself. Yeah. God does ask us to let go of things, which is what legalism is always about. Legalism is always about a next thing we want you to let go of and not have in your life. God does ask us to do a certain amount of that so that he can give us something new. But if we're not ever receiving anything new, we're just suffering for no reason. There's no upside. There's no second half to the story. That's not how God works. So again, that comes back to looking at fruit, looking at outcomes, looking if we're getting anywhere with all of this. And I think to the extent that you can craft a relationship with your friend where you guys are are at least able to ask those kind of questions, I think it's going to help to point this in a better direction. That's all fantastic stuff and very true from a lot of years of experience which you're hearing on this show that that is absolutely the right strategy and the one that will bear some fruit in the long run. All right. If you have a question for us, set podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, dot tumblr.com. Come join us every Tuesday at seven 30 Chicago time over at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago for our live bridge cast. We are having a lot of fun over there. Taylor song this week. This is from our sister program, the bridge loud. This is a new heavy metal take on Just As I Am. Take that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast reminding you to seriously unclench your butt cheeks. You, you, you've got them up there. You, you, you got to relax them on down. <laughs> Doing the hand motion. <laughs> Just as I
Bye.